Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Wealthion founder Adam Taggart. And yes, I am still moving on from this channel. But before I leave, the folks who were taking over for me have asked me to surface a couple of videos for you that I think are, are particularly germane for you right now while we're all waiting for the new material that the new team is working on to come online. And if you watched my video last week with John Rubino, John and I talked about the benefits of investing in farmland. We just talked about it very briefly, and I happened to mention that I have a farmland investing expert that I've interviewed in the past who we could bring back on the channel and help understand how to invest in farmland directly and understand the model of this particular firm, which actually allows investors to invest in sustainable agriculture, which is great for the, the planet, great for the earth, great for our food systems, um, but also provides superior investment returns. Well, gosh, interest in that was sky high. So. I'm going to show you this video here from Craig Wishner, Managing Director of Farmland LP. So um, for you know, folks that are interested in this, though, it's, it's not the easiest thing to invest in. It's not necessarily like buying a share of Tesla, right? So um, it, could you just do us a favor and kind of at a, at a macro level, tell us um, I, what's, what's going on in the industry? And then maybe we can talk about the different ways that people can participate in farmland, short of actually buying their own farm and having to run it and farm it themselves. Great. It, farmland is a fun and amazing asset class, and it's really not very well understood. Uh, and so I'll start by just providing some context uh, on the asset class. Um, and first, its size. So the U.S. has about 25% of the world's high quality farmland. Uh, and that farmland is, in the U.S. is worth $2.7 trillion dollars. Uh, that's about the same economic value as all of the apartment buildings in the U.S. Uh, or all of the office buildings uh, in the U.S. Uh, and 40% of farmland is leased. So farmland is commercial real estate, just like those other asset classes. Uh, some other interesting uh, points about it uh, is that... Uh, it's a very under leveraged uh, asset class of that $2.7 trillion. There's only 14% debt on the entire asset class. Um, so this means one, that it's not correlated uh, with uh, uh, the debt markets. Uh, and some people, particularly listeners might uh, feel that's a positive. <laughs> uh, certainly is a positive uh, uh, for me, uh, not being correlated with it. But it also means that as those debt levels increase, uh, that will be uh, a further tailwind for increased appreciation uh, on, uh, on the asset class. And if you think of single family homes, the price of debt and the availability of debt for single family homes drives up their price. Uh, farmland has just simply not been affected uh, by those tailwinds uh, up until now. Another thing that's interesting about farmland is that only 1% of farmland is institutionally owned. Uh, so really most farmland is bought and sold neighbor to neighbor. Uh, and uh, what that means is that there's a lot of opportunities uh, to uh, buy farmland and add value to it, to transform it to, to for example, growing higher value crops. Um, and uh, there's really just not a lot of competition uh, as we would normally think of compared to multifamily or office buildings. Uh, the, you know, we're one of the top 15 largest farmland managers in the U.S. and the largest focused on organic and regenerative agriculture. So it's just a pretty small group uh, of, uh, of managers in this space. Can you tell us a little bit about just sort of the demand right now for, um, for farmland for, and for the food that the farmland grows? You know, I know in particular, Farmland LP is focused on the organic 
food market. Um, I know you, you, you grow, not everything you grow is organic, but your, your general goal is to grow as much organic as you can. And I know that there is, I believe right now, sort of overwhelming demand as far as the eye can see for organic product, just given, you know, uh, world demand and given that there's so few organic acres relative to the overall acreages of farmland. So, you know, at, at a high level, what are, um, you know, what are the big trends right now that are, that are driving the investing going on in farmland? That's great. Um, so there's a, a few different sectors uh, within farmland. And so you would think about kind of uh, annual crops or commodity crops. 53% uh, of U.S. farmland grows two commodity crops, corn and soy. So uh, a lot of people tend to just look at those market trends and just apply them to uh, all farmland in general. But that would be like lumping together uh, apartment buildings, office buildings, and warehouse uh spaces in class A markets and class three markets uh, all together. You really have to kind of uh, dig a little bit deeper uh, in that. Uh, but, uh, uh, and then another market sector is uh, permanent crops. Uh, for example, uh, those are trees that you might plant or uh, vineyards or blueberries, uh, things that you plant once uh, and then they grow uh, over time and you harvest them for, for decades. Um, and then also there's specialty crops like lettuce, uh, and uh, tomatoes, uh, those uh, you might have seen app harvest uh, go public. Um, we should ask me about app harvest after this. Okay, <laughs> we'll talk about that. But um, so for regarding the overall market sector, uh, uh, commodity row crops, for example, have been flat for the past five years or so. Uh, if you remember the the tariffs uh, that were in place as well. But overall, the market has been pretty suppressed. Uh, now you're actually seeing uh, strength uh, in uh, in that commodity market sector. Uh, on the permanent crop side, the demand in general is very strong, uh, both for currently cash flowing commodity crops as well, or permanent crops, uh, as well as for new crops that are going in. Uh, and there's you know, continued strong demand for the specialty crops. Uh, the organic market, uh, for example, uh, historically 50% of the U.S. food budget uh, is spent at home and 50% uh, out. Uh, during the pandemic, that shifted to around 70%. Uh, of food being sold uh, at home. And the organic markets uh, really are, were already constrained by the, the amount of farmland available that was organic. Uh, and so just everything has gotten maxed out. It's e even more impacted. 6% Six, of the US food budget, about $40 billion a year is spent on organic food. Uh, and only 1% uh, of US farmland is certified organic. The organic food market is growing at double digit rates uh, and organic farmland is only being converted at single digit uh, rates, about half the rate uh, that the overall market is growing. So really a tremendous amount of pressure in general on our food system. That's looking at the short term trends. Uh, if you look out 10, 20, 50 years, um, you have continued population growth. Uh, uh, and uh, that continues to drive demand. Um, and you have uh, continued growth. All, whatever cities uh, and real estate expands, it's usually being built over farmland. <laughs> so you really do have this shrinking pool of farmland uh, while the uh, rest of the real economy uh, grows. Uh, and, uh, and then you have climate change. Uh, and climate change 
will really make uh, some areas, if not unfarmable, dramatically reduce the value of the crops that they can grow there, uh, while some other areas uh, will benefit, but really takes a lot of understanding in order to, to forecast those trends. So it seems like in some ways, sort of, you know, an investor's uh, fantasy where you've got a, a product with limited growth opportunity, um, but overwhelming demand that's probably only going to continue growing. So um, is that translating into high prices for farmland, particularly organic farmland? Uh, and is there value still, be, still to be found in the space? So prices for farmland are going up. Um, and, uh, and even through the 2008 crash, uh, the economic crash, uh, you did see commercial real estate drop significantly uh, during that time, but farmland was flat. Farmland prices were unaffected uh, by that. So historically, and that's true going you know, uh, way back in time, it just simply, the farmland prices are not correlated with the stock market or the debt markets uh, or other markets like that. They're really, they're fundamentally driven by uh, people making more babies uh, and people wanting more meat and a higher quality diet. Uh, that's what puts uh, pressure on farmland. Um, and so what we are seeing in farmland uh, is increasing prices, but it's uh, driven by um, uh, uh, increasing rents uh, on that farmland. So cap rates uh, are staying pretty flat uh, for farmland, uh, but it's actually the, it's basically inflation. Um, so fundamentally, the value of farmland uh, is based on the value of the crops that you grow on that land. So uh, as food prices increase, uh, for example, that translates to a natural uplift in the value of the crops grown on the land and the value of the rent uh, that's generated off of that land. And so that's why prices have gone up uh, over the past uh, well, so over the past 85 years, farmland has delivered 11% annualized return year after year, half from cash flow, half from appreciation. So 11% uh, per year uh, annualized return. Um, sounds like it said it didn't really get impacted that much during the uh, great financial crisis uh, back in 2008, 2009. So it's kind of almost like what's not to like about it here, right? And then, of course, uh, Craig, you talk about the opportunity to, to do a lot of what your fund does, which is buy land that's maybe not being put to its best use, right? It's being over farmed, burned out with the, you know, chemical based fertilizers and the monocropping and, and, and you know, kind of the evils of a lot of the, the big ag conventional processes. Um, and you can restore that land and um, restore the micronutrient content of the soil. You can farm a whole bunch of different types of, of uh, products, uh, both uh, uh, produce, but also livestock as well. Um, so you can have this really highly diversified, uh, you know, portfolio of products that are coming off of the land uh, that you're also able to charge higher uh, premia and, and make higher margin on because it's all, you know, organic uh, certified and whatnot. So, um, for people that find this interesting, and I kind of feel like, why wouldn't you after everything that we just listed there? You know, what are the options that are available to them? Again, short of buying a farm and becoming a farmer themselves. Uh, which they could do if they have $10 million that they want to. Uh, so the average commodity farmer has about $8.5 million worth of land and equipment uh, and makes $250,000 a year. So uh, 
that's that's the option if you want. Doesn't to sound like a great deal. <laughs> it doesn't sound like a great deal if you're looking at it from a, from an investment class. Um, but um, you know, it does. There are good opportunities to invest in. And actually, I just want to get the app harvest uh, comparison because people think of that uh, as uh, as growing food. Uh, so app harvest is a company that basically builds. Uh, giant vertical farms or you know high-end greenhouses uh, they recently went public at about a billion dollar uh, valuation and it was a SPAC transaction uh, so kind of right, ticked off ticked off all the hype things and basically uh, if you look at their numbers uh, they've built a 60 acre greenhouse uh, to grow uh, beefsteak tomatoes large uh, tomatoes and they're gonna just keep doing that uh, in uh, in perpetuity the problem is the same as any other of the vertical farms that I've looked at uh, they uh, it costs around, uh, one and a half to three and a half million dollars of capex per acre uh, in order to uh, grow these crops uh, year after year. And so if you look at their 60 acre facility, um, uh, I could buy 10,000 acres of beautiful irrigated farmland for the price of a 60 acre uh, greenhouse that will only grow tomatoes year after year after year. Uh, and one question is, how do you pollinate the tomatoes in a 60-acre greenhouse year after year? But that's a little more esoteric question. But really, would you, you know, so fast forward 10 years, um, would you rather have 10,000 acres of a wonderful irrigated farmland with great water rights as well, very key uh, part here. Farmland is appreciating. You're, you can grow a basket of, you know, we, we produce over 40 different crops on our 15,000 acres. So a lot of crop diversity, a lot of crop choice, uh, land is appreciating, or would you rather in 10 years uh, own a 10-year-old depreciating uh, greenhouse? Uh, it, it, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty simple option to me. Right, right, it uh, does. When you put it that way, it seems like an easy choice. It's a pretty easy choice. So what are the options for the normal person to, uh, to invest in farmland? Again, so out of the $2.7 trillion worth of farmland, only about 26 billion, about 1% uh, of farmland is institutionally owned. So there just aren't a lot of uh, uh, players uh, in this space. Uh, there's two publicly traded uh, funds. Uh, one is Gladstone Land. Uh, and they all of the almost all of the uh, farmland funds just do basically sale leasebacks. So they'll buy a piece of farmland and lease it back to the operator and collect a rent uh, on that. And uh, you know, there's value from an economy of scale uh, standpoint that happens there, but there's no value in terms of uh, converting from uh, one cropping system to another. They're not really investing uh, in that asset and improving those assets. Uh, but um, so, you know, Gladstone Land is one company. Um, you can, if you're looking for people who are actually adding value to land, for example, uh, where you're converting land from commodity crops to uh, to permanent crops, for example, uh, then uh, uh, Acre Trader or Farm Together uh, are a couple of uh, Kind of crowdfunding options um, where Acre Trader and Farm Together act as brokers uh, on there. Uh, they find an operator on the back end who has some 
uh, value-added plan uh, there, uh, and then they raise capital basically uh, for that. And uh, they're essentially incentivized as brokers uh, on that. Um, and then there are people like us who, not a lot of people like us, but um, there are people uh, who uh, buy the farmland uh, and so what we do is we raise capital, buy farmland, and then take it through a value add conversion period. We get compensated on the back end after we've added the value. So we're very long-term uh, investors from that perspective. You mentioned Gladstone land. Um, is that like a publicly traded uh, ETF or just a, a company itself, just a publicly traded stock? It's a publicly traded REIT. Uh, REIT, so real okay. estate investment trust. Uh, and so, uh, it's a publicly traded vehicle, so it correlates with the debt markets more uh, than it would otherwise. Uh, but uh, but that's uh, a way of uh, getting involved in the sale leasebacks, and they've actually done well uh, recently. Their stock is, has done well. Uh, Acre Trader. Uh, so the the when you're investing in Acre Trader or Farm Together, any one of those deals, it's up to you to build your own diversified portfolio. Uh, on that land. So you'll be investing each time on one piece of land, only one crop, one manager uh, on that. Uh, and so you have to create your own diversification. Uh, you mentioned pecans. Actually, a friend of mine just sent me something uh, just uh, over the weekend uh, where they were looking at it. And you really have to do your own due diligence uh, on this stuff. Uh, this was a basically uh, putting permanent crops where they had not been in the past uh, and uh, where it's very speculative. I basically didn't like the piece of dirt. I was very concerned actually about the whole thing being washed away uh, and uh, people really need to talk to people who know what they're doing uh, on these asset classes before they put their money in. Um, there are, you know, as long as Acre Trader or someone else is doing a lot of good due diligence on it, and you have that essentially that adversarial process, that's adversarial setting the price, adversarial determining that the operator is good, adversarial determining that the land is good, uh, and have all that due diligence come together. That's great. Uh, but um, I, I do think that there's some stuff that shouldn't be um, made available to people who aren't experts uh, and know what they're getting into. What would you look for in, in uh, a parcel land and how you determine if it's a good one for you to buy? The, to summarize it, we look for uh, great sunshine, dirt, and water. <laughs> so uh, that's, that's pretty simple. <laughs> exactly. Uh, sunshine is a great growing climate. Uh, dirt is high quality soils that have the capability of growing high value crops uh, on them. And water uh, is both the physical access to water as well as legal ownership uh, over that water, the water rights uh, uh, on that land. And uh, we do a lot of macro uh, assessment. So we, Water is a strategic uh, focus of ours in part based on our view on climate change. Uh, so we've been following uh, the science of climate change for 20 years um, and uh, we've identified areas that are going to be harmed by climate change uh, and that 
areas that should do better. So we're very focused on areas that we think are going to do at least as well or better uh, in uh, uh, in this era of climate change. And the value of water and water rights uh, is key uh, on that. Um, and the U.S. basically water is a, a tremendously mispriced uh, asset uh, in the U.S. Um, so. You know, I'll, I'll tell you about the farmland uh, behind me, uh, which is part of our second fund, is to give you an example of a real concrete example of water and water rights and, and, and how we add value. Um, so this is a 6,000 acre uh, property in Walla Walla, Washington. Um, 5,500 acres uh, is farmable uh, and there's water rights uh, on 1,800 acres. Uh, on that. And we've got a lot of water uh, on those 1800 acres uh, and the rest of the ground is growing dryland wheat. Okay. Low value crop, but it's beautiful, productive farmland. That's the property you see behind me. So on the 1800 acres, for example, if you grow corn on that land, you'll generate a thousand dollars an acre. Uh, and it takes three acre feet worth of water in order to grow uh, uh, one corn crop. One acre is the size of a football field. Uh, one acre foot of water is one foot deep over that football field. Uh, and corn requires three acre feet uh, worth of water, three foot deep uh, over that football field to generate $1,000 in revenue uh, for uh, that corn. Well, wine grapes uh, only require a foot and a half worth of water. Okay. Wine grapes also generate eight to $10,000 an acre uh, in revenue at 40 to 50% margins. So what we're doing is basically uh, doing water spreading uh, to increase the total number of irrigated acres uh, and convert from commodity corn uh, to wine grapes and other crops. So I can turn that one acre worth of corn, $1,000 an acre worth of corn into 16 to $20,000 uh, worth of wine grapes massively increasing the cash flow that's generated from the same amount of water. And at the same time, the land values are uh, uh, Im positively impacted as well. So uh, when we talk about farmland, the value of that land is based on the value of the crops that you grow on that land. So dry land wheat ground behind me, $900 an acre. If I move the corn production as is um, onto this land, uh, that land would be worth 12,000 an acre. Same dirt, just added water, changed the crop. Uh, if I, if uh, this land though happens to be really wonderfully suitable to wine grapes, okay? Permanent crops like wine grapes, that ground goes for 20 to $25,000 an acre. So same water, same dirt, different crop. So, uh, so this is basically an example of what we see when we're looking at farmland as wonderful soils in great growing climates with wonderful water rights. Uh, and we're just transforming them from low value commodity crops uh, to high value to high value crops. The investor has to sort of be willing to accept a couple of years of, of no to low return to then get those higher returns, correct? That, that, that's absolutely right. And that's what essentially creates this uh, surprising barrier to me uh, from converting from commodity crops to, to higher value crops, uh, or even just taking land through a three-year organic conversion period. Uh, it's really challenging for a commodity 
corn farmer, for example, uh, who's making uh, debt payments on their new combine uh, to uh, shrink the acres that they're going to grow in corn, go to a more diverse commodity, more diverse basket of crops, and spend three years getting that land certified organic. We've kind of been zeroing in on the profitability of the approach. Um, but they're also, as you said, you're, you're, we're talking about improving the land, and it's not just improving it um, you know, just, just to make an additional buck off of it. But you, you, there is somewhat of a mission behind the fund too, right, of, of doing well by doing right, which is you know, you're, you're taking this land, which you know, may, maybe not, you know, maybe sort of be getting abused by kind of the strip mining um, you know, approach of conventional uh, farming. And instead, you know, to, to get it up to organic status, uh, and maybe you could just really briefly, just 30 seconds or so, tell people what, what, what's required for land to be upgraded from conventional to organic. Um, but you're also putting in, you know, permaculture installations like hedgerows and things like that that support pollinators and uh, the predators that eat the pests. And, um, you know, you're, you're, you're really kind of, you know, you're leaving the earth better than it was when you bought it, correct? Yeah, I mean, fundamentally, our mission is, is actually to demonstrate that sustainable and regenerative agriculture is more profitable than chemical dependent agriculture. Our, my degrees in biochemistry and molecular biology, uh, when we look at farmland, yes, we see this wonderful real asset uh, uh, of farmland, um, but we look at it as a biological system. And we know that actually, if we take care of the soil's health, uh, that it will be more productive. Uh, it'll be more resilient to climate change. Uh, it'll require fewer inputs uh, on that ground in order to grow more crops and we can get price premiums very easily uh, by getting the land certified organic when we follow regenerative agriculture best practices. And so uh, fundamentally our, our business model is based on identifying that, you know, all those commodity corn farmers are really locked into a system where uh, they're focusing on farmland to generate maximum uh, operating efficiencies by growing one crop year after year. Uh, and, but we know that the best way to generate productivity from farmland is actually to have a diverse crop rotations, uh, both in a single year, a mosaic of crops growing on that land, uh, and diversity across a 10 year crop rotation uh, as well. That's when the soil's healthiest, uh, and that's when the plants uh, are happiest as well. So you get the increased yields. The challenge to that uh, is that it's very difficult for one farmer to grow all those different crops and change it up year after year uh, on there. And so that's where the economies of scale of what we do uh, come from. Uh, so we map out uh, the ideal crop rotations uh, on that land. We get the land certified organic, and then we find the best farmers for any one particular crop uh, in that rotation. Uh, so we might have pasture for three to seven years and bring in great sheep and cattle tenants uh, on that land. The, for the vegetable rotations, we'll find the best tomato farmer and the best sweet corn farmer uh, and the best grain farmers as well. And we'll manage that farmland as essentially multi-tenant commercial real estate. Uh, working with the farmers, providing them with high quality farmland with great irrigation infrastructure that's already certified organic. So they can really scale up their organic production without having to buy a whole bunch of land 
take it through a three-year conversion process and farm a multitude of crops. Uh, that's our responsibility, and that that's what makes a great partnership uh, in this. And this lesson, this is a just a business lesson that's true. Uh, in the 70s, the U.S. created the REIT uh, laws, uh, which uh, allowed investors to invest in real assets, uh, and that allowed companies to not have to build their own office buildings anymore. We have the Sears Tower because Sears had to build their own tower. <laughs> uh, you know, nowadays you would never think of building your own office building if you wanted to grow a tech company, right? But that's the old model that we're forcing on the farmers. So we're actually just bringing uh, uh, a business structure from the 70s <laughs> uh, into 2021 uh, and saying, you know what, we'll manage this high quality asset uh, and we'll work with the best farmers uh, so they can get the highest returns possible from, uh, from these assets while making sure the farmland is managed organically, regeneratively, uh, and, uh, and most productively and generating the most soil health. 